When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. There is the interception by Harrison Smith, the Vikings' safety, and Smith with a long return. And then he laterals the ball that time to Fletcher Cox. Look at Fletcher Cox stiff-arming Cortland Sutton. The Eagles' big defensive lineman brings it all the way for a touchdown. The 300-pounder taking it off the lateral from Harrison Smith. That certainly happened in the Pro Bowl, I think. <laughs> Did you even watch it? Hell no, I didn't watch it. I watched it. like Are you kidding two me? minutes of it. It, in, it was interrupted, obviously, for some of the Kobe coverage. Yeah. And I was curious as to how they were handling that. Um, I think I saw the Drew Brees interview with Lisa Salters, and that yes. was it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that on social media, but I was, I'm, I haven't watched a Pro Bowl since like 1999 when I was 13. It's probably the last time I watched a Pro Bowl. I don't mind rewatching, not watching it live, but rewatching the skills competition. Oh, skills competition that's is it. fun. I wish that was the whole thing. I wish that that's all they did was just have the skills competition on ESPN. Yeah. And that might be fun. And I don't mind watching some of that stuff when it pops across my Twitter, and they're playing dodgeball or they're throwing footballs at things that are moving. I think that's all hilarious and great, but there's no reason to keep playing an actual football game where Fletcher Cox is catching a lateral and running for a touchdown or whatever. Like, did, I don't need this. Did Can we clarify, did Judd actually watch the Pro Bowl? I don't know. He I posted ran into something him. on our site, but yes. I'm, if he did, I wouldn't be shocked. I, I ran just, into him at the vending machine trying to get a Diet Coke, which ended up being a, a debacle. A debacle. <laughs> um, and I commented on his headline how we took a very simple news story and put a very Zolgad-esque yes. spin on yes. it. Yes, he made it about Kirk Cousins fumbling, which I was like, oh, Kirk Cousins was in the Pro Bowl? I mean, it's just, who cares? I... Anyway, I will say last Wednesday, <laughs> since I haven't been around here, like there's all these changes at a TV in the studio. Um, there's all these things that have happened in the last week since I was being a draft scout I down in Mobile. I say that I noticed that that TV was here. Well, that's your fault for not being perceptive enough. That's why you can't be a draft scout. Can't uh, perceive. That's right. That's a good um, point. That's why we keep you around. But last Wednesday morning when I woke up and saw the list of Pro Bowl, like the alternates that were named to the Pro Bowl for the Vikings. Now they had eight down there. When I saw Xavier Rhodes' name, I just, 
I'm kind of like I couldn't form a sentence <laughs> yeah, like yeah, I feel yeah, right yeah. now. So. As Anthony Harris is yeah. not a Pro Bowler, yeah. That's, My goodness. That's right. Which, actually, that's a good place to start. So I got two things that I really want to discuss with you, Courtney, and we'll talk with George Shahuri of Pro Football Focus. He's in Miami at 2.30. Alex Boone will join us at 3, and Alex is already upset that I sent three potential scenarios involving Delvin Cook and Kirk Cousins to both of you, and he's already mad that he has to talk about it. So that's going to be fun. Uh, can we talk about the Secondary, I wrote for our website uh, in my Future of the Vikings series about the secondary. And, I mean, my head was spinning by the end of writing this article. Starting out with just the cornerbacks. Who is playing corner is a great question for the Minnesota Vikings next year. And, oh, by the way, outside of quarterback, it's probably the most important position on the field in the NFL today because it's all about passing and stopping the pass. And we saw this year when you don't have good cornerback play, it's really hard to have a good passing defense. And the Vikings got lit up on a number of occasions in the past because Xavier Rhodes fell off. Trey Wayans was kind of who Trey Wayans is. And the rotation that they tried at the end worked against David Blau. But, you know, good for you, right? So, um, I don't know. Can you answer that question? Who is playing cornerback for this team? If you give me the benefit of the doubt that you give me, you're giving me the 25th pick to pick a corner. Because I'm not using that on an offensive lineman if I'm Courtney Draft Scout. So Courtney R. Draft Scout. It's I used your own middle initial. Okay, it's fine. We'll do that. Okay. Um, so you're going to have... Mackenzie's gone. Mackenzie Alexander's gone. I'm actually saying that they're going to re-sign Trey Waynes. Really? I think they can get him for a discount, a steeper discount hmm. than what it would have been worth earlier in the year. It's not like you'd want to use a tr- uh, franchise tag on him. That's silly. Um... So you need a new nickel, and you need to fill in where you'd have Xavier Rhodes, because I do believe that they'll part ways. So go ahead and put, you can pencil in Mike Hughes as an outside corner. You can have Holton Hill, the third, behind both outside corners. So you're looking at 25, somebody who can play nickel. Or you're going to hit free agency and try to pick somebody up there once you clear some cap space. Yeah. But in order to do that, you've got to get these extensions done first. And I'm looking over some of your scenarios and figuring out which happens, which happens first, the succession plan, the whole thing. Um, it makes it tricky. But the cornerback group itself is probably the biggest conundrum that this team faces of wondering yeah. what happens. Who, who do you have? Who, who is going to play the cornerback position in 2020? Is it funny to you that we never talk about Trey Wayne's? It just never I comes feel, up. I feel like we talk about him all the time. Really? I, yeah. I feel like we talk about Xavier Rhodes constantly. Well, and, for good reason. Right, because he was great and then not great. But Wayne's has been so much just himself the entire time he's been a starter. He's been a dead-on, middle-of-the-road corner. The last three years by Pro Football Focus, 47th out of 75, 34th out of 75, and 43rd out of 83. So just like right dead smack in the middle. His quarterback rating against is a 91 for his entire career as a Viking, which is about the league average. Mm -hmm. And so I guess you would be asking, what's it worth to keep someone who's league average? And I looked at two other guys who were around his similar stats and PFF grades. Um, The guy from Indianapolis, Pierre Desir, I think is how you pronounce it. Uh, And then Prince Amakamura, who I have no problem pronouncing. Um, They both made about $9 million or somewhere between $7.5 and $9 million when they signed their recent contracts. So is it worth it 
to have Trey Waynes, a guy who you know is going to be somewhere between the 34th and 47th best corner in the NFL, under contract in a very tight situation for seven and a half to nine million dollars a year. That one's tough. I'm not saying you're wrong. I think it's very possible they bring him back. That one would be tough for me, though, to pay him that much just because Zimmer loves his guys. True, but can't don't you think you could potentially get him a forward discount? Because he started out the season, you're thinking, okay, this guy's actually going to outplay his value yeah. or play up to the value that he could be one of the best guys at his position to hit free agency. But he's very average. It's he, the same flaws in his game that he can't get his head around. Always showed up year there. one yep. and showed up in year four. Yep. And, and wherever he's at now, too. So, I mean, that to me is not, that's a no-brainer that you should be able to negotiate somewhat of a hometown discount because you're not going to be able to get it elsewhere with Kirk Cousins. I'm just thinking like big picture cap wise, you got to be able to get it in certain places. Um, where else would you go on the free agent market though? With the cornerbacks that you could be, you're going to be out overpaying regardless if you hit free agency. And I think that if you can work out a longer deal, a longer term deal with Trey Waynes to remain here, to be in a defense that he's been in his entire NFL career, um, to give him a bump from where he's at now, but not such an astronomical bump that you're hurting beyond this and that you could potentially be active elsewhere in free agency. I think it's worth at least a sniff um, as you're trying to you know, work out prioritizing certain positions and certain guys and from your own team in free agency. The cornerback market is not particularly exciting for the outside corners. You have some decent nickel corners like Brian Poole and Chris Harris is really good, but... Uh, Byron Jones of the Cowboys is really the only guy that you look at who you think, okay, he's a difference maker that you would pay a lot of money for. And over the cap is estimating that he's going to be around $16.5 million per year, Mm -hmm. which this team just really doesn't have. So your options at the cornerback position would be to re-sign Wayans, hope he takes less. But, you know, this team, it's not that they get guys for less so much as that they, aside from Daniel Hunter, it's that they find ways to structure it that sort of works for them for a year and will eventually bite them in the rear. The signing bonus early on and then just keep kicking the can with the high cap hits down the road. But wouldn't this be a repeat of Anthony Barr? A guy that Mike Zimmer drafted in the first round and developed and likes and sort of the devil you know as opposed to the devil you don't. And but not worth what you're going to pay him. And if you're telling me that Trey Waynes over the next four years will rank somewhere between 34th and 47th in the league, that's really hard to say, okay, great, so he'll carry a $10 million cap hit. That's a lot. You're supposed to have a guru who can develop these defensive backs. So why would you be paying that much for someone who's average? Shouldn't you be able to plug someone else in and develop them to be average like Holton Hill or like, I mean, Mike Hughes is a lock. He's going to be one of the positions. Mm-hmm. Holton Hill is a bit of a wild card, but aren't you so good at your job that you can find someone else for $3 million or that you can draft someone in the second round and have them step in or whatever else? Like signing Waynes just seems to me to be locking yourself into mediocrity for a lot of money. Sure, but I also think at the conundrum that's presented with Mackenzie Alexander, like you're going to have one of the two positions, whether it's an outside corner and you turn that over if you really think Holton Hill can start next year, if he can stay out of trouble, and if he's good enough to take over that role, then sure. But then what do you do at nickel corner? It just doesn't feel like to me that Mackenzie's going to be somebody who, A, wants to come back here, given the injury situation down the stretch of the season and... All that kind of was the fallout from that. How do you, that's a hard position to play. And I don't really think you're going to be putting Holton Hill or Mike Hughes in that position right away. Do you? 
Mike Hughes is the only one because I know we played a little bit of it early on and, and kind of rotated in when McKenzie was hurt his uh, Hughes's rookie year. Yes, but I feel like he's such a better outside corner, and that's kind of the role that he wants to play, and it's probably a better fit for him too. That you would sacrifice almost like that position and say, okay, we can get another nickel corner to keep Mike Hughes outside. But then again, it's also a really tough position to play. And as we saw with Mackenzie Alexander, it sometimes takes more than just a little coaxing to get somebody to want to play that position, you know? Yes, yes, exactly. Uh, and that's why you might try to sign someone else on the market to play your nickel corner if Mackenzie Alexander won't resign. He should come for a reasonable price, but I've also gotten the sense... He from, still wants to play outside corner? Yes. I think that that's what he's going to try to go find, that him and his agent are going to look around and say, who will let me play outside corner? I didn't mention that as an option. That actually kind of is an option for the Vikings, to put him at outside corner, Mike Hughes at the other outside corner, and sign someone else, and have Holton Hill be your rotational guy, or have Alexander and Hill battle for the spot. I think the bottom line here is, I really have no idea what they're going to do. And your Wayne's premise is interesting because I was always looking at Wayne's, even over the last couple of years, as a guy that they wanted to be better, that they saw a lot of potential in in 2015, and they thought, okay, well, if he'll just do this. And even last training camp, Mike Zimmer was saying, well, if he would just get his head around when they throw at him, and it has never happened, and it's never going to happen. People don't change their stripes at this point in their careers. They're not just going to get better, but... It's very typical of this team to want to keep the people that they have developed. Mm -hmm. And the other problem with that, though, is if you sign Trey Waynes to a $10 million a year deal, Anthony Harris is gone, right? All right. I was having this discussion with someone earlier, actually several people, and I got laughed at, which doesn't feel great. Um, I'm very sorry that happened to you. I would never. I know. You're such a gentleman. Um, There's no candidate. On this roster right now for the free for the franchise tag or for the transition tag, but Anthony Harris is the best safety available about to hit free agency. So what do you pay him if Harrison if Harrison Smith has a ten point was it ten point like three million dollar cap hit next season? You certainly want to work out a long term deal with Anthony Harris that could somehow probably be below that number for sure. I mean, the franchise tag doesn't seem viable for that. And I understand it's a $12.735725 million hit. It's a lot. That's more probably than Harris's value, despite leading the league in interceptions Mm, as a safety and despite all that he did this year. But how do you work out those financials when he's probably going to draw more interest? I don't think you can get so arrogant to say, oh, he's going to come back here and sign for $4 million a year for you know a two-year deal. I just don't believe that. No, no, no. I don't think he should take anything less than he's worth. Um, but I'm what just, is he worth is my question. I he's think he's safety, worth like $14 million a year. Well, the safety market doesn't look very good right now. And I mean, it's not saying that he, he's he's, a, he's obviously going to be the best of probably a weaker market. And it's a positional value thing, too. I think it's like the, I don't know, you want to call it the running back of the defense? A little how, bit. How, people, little bit, how yep. people value it? A little bit. Um, that's where I struggle with it because you're going to have to pay him, too. Teams aren't paying a ton for safeties, but there's always a team. Landon Collins, who's not as good as Anthony Harris, he was good for a year, maybe two, in New York. But Washington signed him for over $14 million a year. Tyron Matthew is like a defensive MVP level player, so he was worth it. But even like Chicago re-signed Eddie Jackson to a ton of money. Kevin Bird, who plays for Tennessee, it was the same thing. Well, Chicago did that for cap space reasons, too. 
to be able to get the extension to be sure. able to lower yeah, yeah, his yeah. hit so they could potentially go after a quarterback. But if you're Harris's agent, I mean, you're looking at those guys and going, he was better than everyone but Tyron Matthew on that list this year. League leader in interceptions, and I'm sure that some teams would be like, well, we're not sure if it's just him or if it's because of Harrison Smith, and there's probably some truth to that. But his playmaking ability is pretty rare. It's not too often that someone intercepts. It's not good luck to intercept Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, Phillip Rivers, and, and on and on. Like, I mean, he had a great last two seasons and was legit one of the best safeties in the league. So if you're the Vikings and hoping to get him at $5 million a year, I like, just that's don't think not going to happen. But I also don't know it, it, the price of the tag. And I, sure, what sure, is you, it, over 12? 12? 12.735? That's a lot. You like, might be able to do it if you are not signing Trey Waynes or anyone else at the cornerback position, which to me is very risky because the corner is so valuable. Mm-hmm. And I just don't think that that's realistic. Given all that they have to do to be able to free up that type of money for for Anthony Harris, I mean, it, it feels more likely that you get him in, you try to work with a long-term, work out a long-term deal for him. He li- He wants to be here, he likes it here, but he also has the right to test his value. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's a number of different tags I guess you could use on him. The non-exclusive tag. Like, I mean, that seems like that would be probably the most realistic one. Transition tags, probably not. But I don't know. I was going over candidates for it this morning, just trying to figure out who on the team, because the team doesn't use the franchise tag ever. No. Like, no, they really last don't. time they used it was on Chad Greenway in 2011. Yeah. So. But this might be a scenario where you would consider it because it's a reasonable amount for what he does for you. The only thing is, I looked this up, only four teams in 2019 spent more than $20 million on their safeties, to your point about it being the running back and teams are mm-hmm. afraid to pay too much. And if they signed him to the franchise tag, you'd be talking about spending 22, 23, 24, somewhere in that range, million dollars between your two safeties. That's really hard to do. And the other question is, as great as Anthony Harris was over the last two years, th- this team doesn't often under Mike Zimmer ask itself, well, could we replace that guy? Like, could we replace that? And that's your point about Waynes is they like to bring back the guys they know and who know the system rather than saying, you know, we probably could just fill somebody else in there and be okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, corner is not generally a position where you could just throw in somebody, but Sandejo was great next to Harrison. Harris is great next to Harrison. They don't have anybody on the roster, and Mike Zimmer clearly is not a J. Ron Curse fan. But nor do I think J. Ron wants to come back. No, here. that's definitely not the case. But like Trey Boston, for example, he's a playmaking safety. He's kind of a deep safety. If he costs half as much as Anthony Harris, don't you have to say Harrison Smith is a kingmaker? Can we just put someone else in there and have them do that job? I financially, think you can. It's, financially, it's probably more responsible to go about it that way because then you'd free up that money to prioritize finding a nickel corner. Let's just say if, if they do end up um, moving on from Trey Waynes and Mackenzie Alexander and you have Holton Hill, Mike Hughes on your outside and Chris Boyd is your rotational guy because we, we have yet to talk about him too. And remember what Mike Zimmer said a few weeks ago. This is a young man's game, alluding to the fact that it's time for the players that he's developed over the last few years and even the rookies that came in last year to start having a bigger role. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that's something that you definitely need to consider and, you know, where, where that money's going to be allocated defensively. Because I think that it's, it's, it's in two different pots, which is obviously with offense and defense that's normal. It's not groundbreaking. But as you look towards where you're spending defensively, it has to be 
within the pass defense because of just how bad yes. it was this year. Yep. I'm going to look this up right now as we talk. Positional spending from last year. Uh, offense and defense. And this is where I wonder if the front office and Mike Zimmer have some conflict on this. So they have, of course, $30 million dedicated to Kirk Cousins mm-hmm. in cap space last year, 29.9. And on <laughs> offense... They're still in the top half of the league because of that, but $87 million total on offense. So they're more of like mid-pack, even with a giant quarterback contract. Second in the NFL in defensive spending, cap space, last year. Do you think that that changes this year? Do you think that the offensive cap spending, they spent $93 million on defense and 87 on offense. Is there a chance, because last year we spent a lot of the time with me saying, please change that, uh, and it didn't happen, and their defense was just, you know, good, not great and their offense was good not great um so i i don't know i wonder if in the front office if there's going to be these conversations where they say to mike zimmer you're going to have to make some sacrifices because offense still wins in the nfl or it gets you there you can win the super bowl on defense you can win an nfc championship on defense but if you want to get there you have to have a top five offense i don't think that that's even debatable at this point in the nfl no and i mean they're already according to our records through our roster management system at ESPN, they're already 10 million over the cap in 2020. So if you want to go buy a left guard on the free agent market, I don't know where you're going to get him from because you're going, (laughs) you have no money as it is right now. So you're going to be making those sacrifices to be able to free up cap space and to be able to make yourself competitive in free agency. And if you're going to prioritize that over, let's say, I don't know, going to get another pass rusher, going to get another yeah, that's quarterback. What I and you. I think that you have to look at the Kirk Cousins extension, the potential Dalvin Cook extension, and, and a left guard as your top three priorities offensively. And that's going to cost you. You know, those Super Bowl left guards are just the center of the conversation this week. It's crazy in Miami. Like, no one even wants to talk to Mahomes. <laughs> they just want to get to those left guards. Just be like, how did you do it? How did you make Mahomes so great? Do we still have the turbo snark thing? If you have that somewhere. That was some extreme turbo snark right there. I, I, I wasn't the even ready. Position. Who the hell is playing left guard for these teams? I have no idea. doesn't matter. Yeah, well, I mean, it was clearly a liability in Minnesota last year, though. Sure. I'm sure it was unbelievable in Kansas City. <laughs> well, they also have a quarterback who doesn't <laughs> hold just, on to the ball and is a lot more mobile than Kirk and, and doesn't necessarily need. Okay, well, I understand where you're going here. And that's the snark. Yes, I understand the snark, that. but... It's, it's, oh it's a non-fixable. That is a non-fixable issue. You yes. cannot touch that. You cannot alter that. Yes. So you need to mitigate it by. That's one of your priorities in free agency. Don't disagree. And um, the fact that that as you mentioned, like offense is probably going to take over at least in terms of prioritizing where you're spending your funds. Where are you ranking priorities uh, in terms of the positions? I mean, can cor- I can I extend? Corner. Can I put extensions in there too? Yeah. Well, if you yeah, sure. Why not? You can do whatever you want. That's right. Um, well, <laughs> there are no rules. I think, in terms of cap, like security and being able to preserve it, that you do give Kirk Cousins an extension. That you do get this locked up now, mm-hmm. because either way, down the road, you can still draft a quarterback next year if you want to. But um, to lower that thirty-one million dollar hit that you have in two thousand twenty, I think is that's that's you need that. So you do that now. Do you extend Dalvin Cook? I'm still a little unsure on what those figures would look like because I'm not a firm believer of the $14 million a year yeah. figure that's being thrown out there. I just am not. Um, 
But then I think you beyond that, like if I'm if I'm putting Kirk at like kind of the you know the early, let's say around the time of the combine, going into free agency, that prioritizing that, then I think you've got to go after a left guard, and you have to go after a left guard, and you have to go after a cornerback. Yeah, well, that's what I was gonna say is like what is more valuable to you, and I also think another playmaker on offense. You look at both of these. Another teams receiver in the Super Bowl. would be great. Look at what the Bills did in getting what was it, John Ross. Uh, John Brown. John Brown. Like, yeah, I'm getting my Johns confused. Another g- generic name. Um, Just pick a generic name with John. Go get a receiver for four mil. How many times were you and I sitting here last year during free no. agency talking about all of their options that they could have had for a number three? Because let's also bring this into effect. What if you trade Stephon Diggs? Then what do you have? Like, then what are you doing with the yeah. wide receiver position? I mean, there's a lot of different scenarios here. Um, and I know that we're going to get to it with Boone in a little bit that it makes sense to think about. Spending spending your money and allocating dollars towards offense is probably going to save you and elevate your team at a point where maybe the defense is what it is. And I don't know how much better it can get, especially with the players that they have. So let's take a break. Uh, we're going to bring in George Shahuri from Miami, from Pro Football Focus, and discuss the QB annual is out. And there's a lot of interesting statistics, which I will be definitely writing about today um, with Kirk Cousins. What a good year by a lot of the numbers, but there's also some telling stats in there as well. So we're going to discuss a little bit about what the QB annual says about Kirk Cousins and, of course, the Super Bowl. It is Super Bowl week, so we will talk with George Shahuri of Pro Football Focus. When we return, Matthew Collar, ESPN's. Courtney Cronin here on Score North. Hey, Score North listeners. It's Phil Mackey here for Federated Mutual Insurance Company, which is here to give business owners that peace of mind that you need when you've built a company with your blood, your sweat, your tears, maybe not your blood, but whatever. Like you built a company and you want your insurance team to be ready with a game plan that helps you recover if needed, recover smoothly so you can get on with running your business. Federated has a century of experience in helping business owners. You can find out more about the industries Federated protects at their website, federatedinsurance.com. And remember, Federated Insurance, it's their business to protect yours. Jonathan here with the Score North download. We'll get you back to Purple Daily in just a moment. But first, join the Beer Show this Wednesday. Yes, tomorrow at 30 Bales in downtown Hopkins for a live taping of the Beer Show from 3 to 6 p.m. Hang out for the recording. Register to win great prizes from Elevated Beer, Wine and Spirits, Dasco Label, and Fratelloni's Ace Hardware. That's this Wednesday from 3 to 6 p.m. over at 30 Bales in downtown Hopkins. Spent a majority of the day yesterday on the station remembering Kobe Bryant. And this morning on FS1's First Things First, Steph Vikings wide receiver Stefan Diggs talked about what Kobe Bryant meant to him, saying... I grew up a Laker fan. My dad liked the Lakers, and uh, we always used to watch it on the big screen. And he, uh, he like, never let you down. Kobe was like a killer. When there was opportunity there, he was going in. When there was blood in the water, he was going in. And you knew every time he was going to hit the shot. You know, and to kind of hear when I was younger, just to love a player and to grow up, and you kind of get the background of him waking up at 4 a.m. or 3 a.m. to work out and him putting a lot of effort and consistency into his game, it, uh, it motivates you and inspires you still, like right now. Um, at such a tragic time, you think to yourself that he wouldn't want you to be sad. He wants you to be happy, you know, and um, kind of continue to push, continue to grow as people, as men, you know, and as an athlete and as a competitor. Um, I, I love Kobe. I, I was a Kobe guy. I argue, you, I argue you down, you know, as far as like the best to worst or however you want to dress it. So uh, it's, it was tough for everybody, you know, and as a kid, you know, when you when you grow up on somebody, and you lose them. I never had nothing like that, you know, and I. I haven't felt that way about losing somebody since my dad. So to lose Kobe and lose somebody that we that we love so much, it was definitely a hard time. And um, it's kind of sad. You're kind of shaking a little bit. 
That's been your score on Thoughtlow. Now back to Purple Daily. Thank you, Jonathan. Matthew Collar, Courtney Cronin here on Purple Daily. Uh, and now we bring in to the show from Pro Football Focus from Miami, sunning himself down there with his San Francisco 49ers. So I believe we predicted the last time we talked in like October, George Shahuri. What is up, George? I mean, it was certainly very prescient of us. Um, it, it is sunny. And the 49ers are here. So so two very good things. But I also am excited the Chiefs are here, too, because your buddy Eric Eager is uh, a little excited about that as well. He is, yes. We were just uh, going back and forth on Twitter about the 1994 season where Joe Montana <laughs> faced Steve Young uh, at Arrowhead Stadium. So, I mean, this matchup, George, it's just phenomenal. I mean, from, from so many different perspectives. It's the best quarterback in the NFL against a defense with a ton of playmakers, but also against Kyle Shanahan, who's like the genius of all genius offensive guys. I mean, what is your favorite part of this matchup? Because I think all of it for me. It's hard to find one that I don't like. I will say this. The, the narrative that I believe is getting undersold is the competition between the two passing offenses. There's a lot of, well, the Niners are going to run the ball and the Chiefs are going to throw the ball, and which one is going to dominate is going to determine who wins this game. And I really think it's, it's not the case at all. It's whether the 49ers passing offense is going to be good enough to go toe-to-toe with Pat Mahomes and that Chiefs uh, offense. And the Niners have a little added boost that they, they have a defense that's far more talented, right? That if they can have some kind of outlier performances on the D-line, their coverage unit has been very strong. Um, they can cause some problems for Mahomes. But this 49ers passing offense is no joke. I mean, they are ranked fourth in the NFL and expected points added per pass play, which is basically yards per play, but taken uh, down in distance into context. Um, so they, they are certainly very good. And I think that's ultimately what determines who wins this game. George, I'm just curious because we've talked about Patrick Mahomes and and the moves and the risks that Andy Reid and and the Chiefs front office made to move on from Alex Smith and and draft Mahomes. But what did the Chiefs see in him that no one else did? Is there something that we can kind of point to, statistically speaking, in the evaluation process of quarterbacks going from college to the pros that 31 other teams missed out on when the 2017 draft process came through? Yeah, we actually have a, a great article uh, on PFF.com looking at, at this very thing, right? How do you project players from college to the pros? And it's not an easy process by any stretch of the imagination. But what they realized in Pat Mahomes, what he had was this ability to make the plays that only the top you know, two or three quarterbacks in the NFL can make. And in addition to that, he had, he had an ability to limit negatively graded plays. And what I mean by that is we grade every player on every play, both in college and, and uh, at the pro level. And a negatively graded play is, say, a 10-yard pass that is uncatchable, right? That just kills you because if a guy's open and I, I can't be accurate with the football, that really hurts, right? So that's obviously something that is indicative of a quarterback's just natural ability to be accurate. And Patrick Mahomes has been so good at limiting those plays. He was good in college. He's been very good at the pros. Really, only Drew Brees has been better than him at limiting those negatively graded throws. And so as great as it is when he can chuck the ball 60 yards downfield, you only appreciate that because he's able to keep the chains moving by being so accurate at all the other levels of the field. And 
it's just so hard to stop. I mean, when it, when a guy can be that good consistently, you really have no shot at the defense. George, it's really fascinating to me the process of evaluating Patrick Mahomes because you would see the draft reporters say, well, you know, a lot of people, they don't like his footwork. (laughs) Well, uh, yeah, and footwork can be a huge problem. If you don't have good footwork, you end up like Mitch Trubisky trying to throw left and it just goes in the stands because you don't know how to you know, get your feet in the right places to make those throws. So that can be an issue. But I think Mahomes offers us a little bit of a lesson of maybe pull back sometimes and and forest through the trees, the production, the baller nature of the guy. And if you're putting it in those black and white terms of, you know, maybe the footwork isn't great, but for some reason the guy can contort his body like a shortstop and make perfect throws anyway, and he's not throwing lots of interceptions, that it should tell you a little bit of something, I think, about how to evaluate quarterbacks in the future, even if they're not all going to be Patrick Mahomes. Right, and it's it, you're you're dead on with the whole like, hey, we can evaluate guys better, but also we can put them in better positions. I mean, he's in an Andy Reid offense, right? Like that is that is something that needs to be appreciated as well, and that marriage between the two is really perfect. And when you look at what a player does on a football field first, and not you know kind of pick at little nits and in, in throwing motions and you know how his feet look. That's how you avoid situations like a Mitch Trubisky where you're probably not looking as much as you should at what happens when he throws the ball. Where does the ball go, right? And you're focusing too much on kind of some of the perfect, um, you know, trying to be perfect with all the other things. So I I think it's a great point, and they got lucky to a certain extent, right? Um, But you have to be able to take the right shots in order to get lucky, and that's what they did. So this is apparently going to be the chief segment because all I'm concerned about is uh, Andy Reid offenses and, and how they work. Um, and one thing I've been pondering the last few days is when you think about rookie receivers that have played for him and the success that they've had in that first year. You go back to Philly with Deshaun Jackson, um, Jeremy Macklin, and then obviously with Miko Hardman this year and, and um, Tyreek Hill before. Like, What is it about that type of system and yes, he has speed guys and guys who can get to the perimeter, and that's the strength of their game. Is it more, would you say, the evaluation of the type of players that it's all kind of the same prototype as to why they're successful because that's the right fit for his offense? Or is there something about the way that he schemes these guys that gets the most out of them in their rookie season? Yeah, I think it's a little of both, right? So the ski, what he does so well is he stretches defenses both vertically and horizontally. I mean, they attack the deep seams that, like really no other team does, and they do it with receivers. You know, Michael Hardman from the slot is just lethal running down the seam. And so he knows in order to do that, I've got to get guys that can be fast down the field, but also, you know, quick twitch enough to get horizontal and be able to stretch the defense with their speed, you know, across the field. And so having that bevy of guys that, you know, speed kills, right? The Niners do that with their running backs. They have guys that are so fast that they can get out to the edge and out, you know, outflank your defenses. So um, it, it's being so understanding of your system and what you're trying to do that you go out and you find the player that's, that you know will succeed in that system because he's got all those tools that you've seen work over and over and over again. And he's, just, he's just really good at, at knowing what he does well and then attacking it. 
Talking with uh, George Shahuri, does the uh, PFF Forecast podcast with our buddy Eric Eager, which I highly suggest you listen to. I was just telling Courtney that this winter I have started running on a treadmill. I usually run outside, but the weather is just terrible. And so that's what I listen to to get through the obnoxiousness of running on a treadmill. Uh, treadmill. So That's anyway. a Freudian slip right there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Tre- yes. Laquan Treadwell. Sure. Because um, I said terrible and that just sort of connected. <laughs> Anyway, so uh, make sure you go find that because it's a very, very good podcast. And uh, also, you guys at PFF have dropped the QB annual. And I'm looking at Kirk Cousins' numbers here, George, and it is really fascinating. I mean, from last year's QB annual that looks at about one million different areas of a quarterback from your clean pocket to the big-time throws to play actions to third downs, so many areas he was better and yet, George, it feels like it was a lot of the same. Um, what, what can we learn from the year to year and the, the big difference in a lot of areas, but sort of similar results from Kirk Cousins? I, I do think there's a lot of it that is just Kirk Cousins. It, it, he can have these good games, but the, the floor is so low. And that's what I would look at. You know, I, I start by just looking at kind of his game to game. You know, what is, what is he grading like game to game? Yeah. And you just see these, these kind of valleys that if he plays that way, you know, if he's the 22nd ranked quarterback in a week, if he's the 29th ranked quarterback in a week, you don't have a great shot to win that game. And it's, it's almost the opposite of Patrick Mahomes, who his floor is so high. Like he just doesn't have really bad games. And, and Kirk Cousins is just so much more likely to have a really bad game. And when that happens in a small sample sport at the wrong time, like you just don't have a shot, right? Um, so I, I think it was a positive step forward this season, certainly. Um, but overall, if you're going to beat the 49ers on their, you know, on their turf, you're going to have to throw the ball well. And I think it was kind of, it was kind of damning that they came out and ran the ball straight into the teeth of the Niners defense on the first two plays. And I think that let the Niners know, like, you know, we don't. We're not going to win this game with Kirk Cousins. We're going to win it by you know dominating up front, and obviously that wasn't going to happen. George, so for those who don't know, the QB annual uh, that you can download with a PFF Edge subscription uh, is 373 pages. So I'm on page 26 right now, and it, it's uh, just tracking Aaron Rodgers' targets and the routes for his receivers, and it looks basically like a Bills helmet exploded onto the page. Um, <laughs> I'm curious for for someone who combs through this type of data and just kind of, is there any sort of statistic here? Obviously, the advanced metrics um, and the discrepancy from year to year is fascinating, but is there anything that you picked up on when you're going through the the stats that we judge quarterbacks on in the 2019 season that kind of jumped out of the page for you? It was like, maybe this is different than years past. Yeah, I, so you're looking at the page you're looking at is one of the ones that I'm most excited about. Um, one of our data scientists, uh, Timo Riske, who's actually over in Germany uh, and is a Bucks fan, um, has created a really cool um, way of visualizing the way, where schemes and where offenses attack by looking at the routes they run and where you'd expect that combination of routes on a play to attack. And so we have those for every single quarterback. And so you can go and you can look at, okay, well, where did the Minnesota Vikings try to attack down the field? Where did the Green Bay Packers look to attack? And then you can compare it with where they actually did throw the ball. Where did Aaron Rodgers, where did Kirk Cousins throw the ball? And that to me is, is the, 
it's one of the new things that we added this year. It's my favorite thing to look at. Um, but there's something for really for everyone. If you just want to look at the overall grades, those are there. If you want to look at passing by depth, um, that's there as well. If you want to look at the targets that they threw the ball to. Um, so there's a little bit of something for everybody. Uh, but I kind of like these new, uh, these new scheme charts because I think it tells you a lot about the coach-quarterback marriage uh, and whether that's working or not. So quick takeaway. I'm looking at Kirk Cousins, and a lot of the routes take you to the middle of the field, but not all the throws take you to the middle of the field. And this has been a criticism that I think he's faced maybe for his entire career, George, is the tight window throws are just not a Kirk Cousins thing. And I think if you're differentiating, I know that Kyle Shanahan loves Kirk Cousins and said today that he was planning on going after Cousins, and that's why they didn't draft Mahomes, which, you know, sure you did. Uh, maybe if wow. you, well, you know, I mean, look, if you knew yeah, Mahomes yeah, was going to yeah. be Mahomes, you wouldn't be talking about Kirk Cousins, okay? So, but anyway, you know, he, so offensive coordinators seem to love him. They seem to get a lot out of him, but yet head coaches are always on the hot seat with him, which I think is sort of a funny uh, irony. And I think part of it is that the tight window throw thing just does not really happen with Kirk Cousins. And this visualization shows the routes running to a certain spot where you would often need to make tight window throws to be successful, but the throws often going to different spaces on the field. So I I guess I'm asking if that's sort of the takeaway that that I might have by looking at charts like these. Yeah, an aversion to throw over the middle of the field is very interesting. It's something that Aaron Rodgers, he doesn't like to throw over the middle of the field at all. And look, interceptions happen are more likely to happen when you throw between the numbers. And a lot of that is not the quarterback's fault, right? It's just easier to get, you know, past his tips and everything like that. Um, so that, that's one of the reasons I think that you'll see something like that. You're right about the whole tight window throws thing. We actually, you can check out how he did from an accuracy standpoint on tight window throws. Uh, a few pages uh, further down in his in his section, I I believe that targeting the middle of the field is a smart thing to do for an offense. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to be willing to throw the ball. If I'm looking at his kind of comparison between where they attack and where he throws, one thing that's noticeable to me is that he really throws the ball a lot shorter than where they attack. And you know, I, I would look for them to you know to take advantage of some of the athletes they have and push the ball down the field a little bit more. Um, than they have this past season. I think that that right there was the perfect phrasing of Kirk Cousins. He throws it a lot shorter than they're trying to attack. Is just like, I think, (laughs) exactly right on and a major part of why we're having the extension conversation despite a lot of these really good statistics. All right, last thing for you, George. what do you what do you guys what are you guys doing down there? I mean, you got a whole house full of PFF bros. You're just talking football and creating content and stuff. But as you guys debate who you think is going to win this game, like what's the what's the one thing that you might be having the sort of hotly contested arguments over with Chiefs and 49ers? Is there like one specific nerdy stat that you guys are like, no, it's time to release? Like no, it's tight window throw. Like what? What? What is? What is the number that would be the most like pointing toward who's going to win this game? That's very interesting. I mean, I I hate to be boring and say the quarterbacks. You know that that's the most. You know, the passing game is the most predictive, and the quarterback is the most predictive of that of that unit. I do think one of the things that we're doing down here is having conversations with a lot of other people who aren't in the PFF bubble, and. 
one of the nice things about that is it opens your mind up to what other people are thinking about and talking about. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that kind of keeps coming up is, you know, the Niners defensive line and that defense. And week to week, year to year, defense is not nearly as predictive as offense. But you have two weeks to prepare. Everyone's going to be healthy. Can the, the 49ers defense get a great you know, four quarters, get a great fourth quarter mm-hmm. out of out of somebody and just get one play or two plays on Patrick Mahomes and give the Niners a chance to win. I think really it's going to, I believe it's going to come down to, you know, the last possession or two. And both these quarterbacks are capable of making the plays. It's going to be who outside of them is going to make a play that affects them one way or another. Well, George, I love your podcast, PFF Forecast Podcast with Eric Eager. Listen all the time, and other people should go wherever they get their podcasts and check it out. And luckily, if you want to follow George on Twitter, you can do so without spelling his last name. It's just PFF (laughs) underscore George. Uh, Appreciate your time, man. Really glad to catch up with you, and I know you love the 49ers, so it should be a very fun week for you, man. Have fun down there. Hey, I always appreciate talking to you guys. Thanks for the time, and I'll catch a few rays for you. Uh, Yeah, well, thanks for adding that. All right, uh, take care, George. (laughs) And hang up button. We haven't seen the sun here in what, like a week? Yeah, it's been. I mean, I, I didn't see it in Mobile, but it doesn't look like the sun's been out. But I have something for you though. So this will this will make you happier. Jonathan, are you ready? Okay, go go ahead. Just hit it. Who has the quickest twitch? Whose hips are the most oily? Who has the quickest long snap? Hand sizes, wingspans. Oh, no one knows hand sizes and wingspans better than Courtney R. Draft Scout. <laughs> yeah. All right, it's time. You were at the Senior Bowl. Oh, my God. Courtney was... R. Draft Scout with the perfect music selection in the Can background. Can that be like my voicemail on my cell phone? As it could be whatever like, you want it to be. be. Like, Ma'am, From I'm trying to leave a message. Every time we do a show, from now until the draft, and then even after... Courtney Ardra- Can you just play it again? You just play it again. Yeah, I, I want to hear it again. again. That was again. incredible. Who has the quickest twitch? Whose hips are the most oily? <laughs> oily. Who has the quickest long snap? Hand sizes, wingspans. Oh, no one knows hand sizes and wingspans better than Courtney R. Draft Scout. <laughs> you put the R in there. She's the most okay, savage move of your all middle time. Name. Uh, Manny is also a genius, and that was beautifully. Where did, beautifully can I just done. like have like a? Where did this come from? Like where, huh? the, the inspiration for my own? I can't tell you that. So over the I'm air. just curious. Obviously, we're we're going to talk about. Um, senior Bowl, and that's fine. But yes. every time we do a mock draft and draft sim, oh, yeah. and that's this is going to play, right? Oh, one thousand percent. Okay, probably several times every time you're on. So you have uh, like four minutes before Alex Boone is going to join us, and we'll take mm-hmm. a break. What'd you learn at the uh, the draft, Courtney? Our draft scout. Break it down. Whoa. Slick your hair back like Mel. Have to put the glasses on too. Yep, put the big glasses I have, on. I don't have cool glasses. I'm sorry. Talk um, in his insane cadence. I, I can't talk that fast. No, no one That's can. That's like twist of trying to rap. Yep. Like, I, I can't do it. It's too fast. Uh, what would um, you learn at the uh, Senior Bowl? So when I was there early last week, I just tried to figure out, okay, who's, you know, you watch one-on-ones, you try to figure out who's separating themselves from the competition. Why are you laughing at me? <laughs> it's the stupidest reason I have Twitter up, and there's a, a video of Mike Bloomberg, who is, I guess, running for president, and uh, he was shaking people's hands, and there was a dog in the room, and he shook the dog's face. <laughs> 
And I just started laughing. I'm sorry. It's just one of those things where we have Twitter up for breaking news and everything else, but then Mike Bloomberg shaking a dog's face comes up and makes me laugh. I'm sorry. Well... I was listening, but that just happened. So I'll explain, since we are cutting into my draft scout time. I know, I'm sorry. Um, We had an assignment. A couple of us down from ESPN were just asking scouts, any sort of front office personnel that were there taking in practice, who are the most underrated guys Mm -hmm. that you've watched and guys who have raised their draft stock um, over like the last few weeks or over over, the the couple days that they were there for the Senior Bowl. And uh, two that I turned in. So if you want to look at this article, it's on ESPN.com. I believe it's an ESPN Plus article. So don't get mad at me if you don't have the login. By now you should. So the two that I thought were the most interesting, and I went around and asked a few different people about Troy Pride Jr. He's a cornerback out of Notre Dame. Head and shoulders above the rest of the group. I mean, watching him lock up guys in one-on-one. I think Very it's proud of his Pittman. work. Um, do you know him? Okay. No, his name is Pride, and it's very proud oh. of his work. Anyways, <clears throat> so I went and got. Um, I watched him in one in one on ones. I mean, watched some of the tape back that you know you saw out there that other draft scouts who were actually filming this thing, um, which I did not do. Uh, he's somebody I think that one of the most interesting things I heard is that he could potentially be a day. He, was a, he went from a day three to a high day two guy, oh, okay. which it's early. Like, but the cornerbacks that you see at these types of events, I mean. You know, he's not one of like the upper echelon guys right now. But mm-hmm. if you have a good senior bowl, I mean, you think about it with other positions, the quarterback position specifically over the last few years. Um, Baker Mayfield being one of those guys going as a first round pick, the first overall. Um, he was a senior bowl candidate. So that was that's one. I mean, like it's early. So I'm going to be watching him yeah. the next few. The Vikings draft guys from the senior bowl. Yes. All the time. They dra- Garrett Bradbury. Yep. That he did not go on any top 30 visits last year. So the only exposure they would have had to him throughout the, quote, draft process would have been at senior bowl and then combine. So if you're thinking 25, maybe you're looking at a cornerback. Um, that might be one of the people that, I don't know, just keep an yeah, eye on. No, for sure. And did then there you, was... Um... Oh, sorry, go ahead. I had another one that I like. I just want to read you the, um, you know, since I'm the draft scout. Yeah, just give me uh, the scouting report. What are we doing so here? So, I think it's, it's I, I know I pronounced his name. I butchered it when I asked people. Josh Ush, Uchi, the guy. The Michigan, line, right? Yeah, the linebacker from, he's an undersized. He's the guy like, from Michigan. Yeah, linebacker from Michigan who's probably projected as, I don't know, situational pass rusher in, in certain schemes. Um, but one of the scouts that I talked to throughout the week uh, he said, quote, he won me over during Wednesday's practice, doesn't have the typical edge rusher build, but likely projects as an outside backer who can sustain pass rushing downs in certain defenses. Mm. Loved how explosive his lower body movement showed up in individuals. Great yes. bend. Yes. They'll call him a tweener in every oh. draft profile you read, but he's so versatile that every NFL team could find a role for a guy like this. Great bend. Great this bend. is why we do this. Tweener. Oh. So I good. went to Mobile for you, just to let you I know. know that I went for you. I know that's why this is Courtney. Can I can I hear my scout? Can I hear my promo again? One more time, yeah. Who has the quickest twitch? Whose hips are the most oily? <laughs> Who has the quickest long snap? Hand sizes, wingspans. Oh, no one knows hand sizes and wingspans better than Courtney R. Draft Scout. When, when people were, are tweeting those out, the hand sizes at the Senior Bowl, I want to climb to the tallest building and throw myself <laughs> off. I mean, just, 
Stop it. I I don't care about this at all. Stop flooding the, the, my Twitter feed with hand sizes. The fun thing is the weigh-in. Trying to watch Mike Bloomberg shake a dog's face. <laughs> the weigh-in when it's basically... You know how they call the combine the underwear Olympics? Yes. The video that they use, like... That you'll see. Sometimes you'll get to see like of the, these guys, like literally in boxers, and it's just the weirdest looking thing. Um, that takes place at the weigh-in. So of these like, guys, like basically like standing around, and then they turn this way, and then they turn this way, and they're they look really strange. And yeah, great Ben Courtney, our draft scout, cannot wait for more of draft SZN. I am just so excited that you're going to the combine this year, and and my flight will take off hopefully. Yeah, and and we're gonna get to draft sim together as we ask every single prospect. Have you interviewed with Minnesota Vikings? I will not do that. I refuse. Have other people do it for us. Um, Okay, so we got to take a break, and we'll come back. Uh, Alex Boone and I have collaborated on a bunch of scenarios that we want to talk about because I wrote an article about Gary. I know you're excited. Um, we still haven't even really reacted I know, to I Gary. Know. We haven't. And that's, and that's what we're going to do when we come back. Is Gary Kubiak is the offensive coordinator. What does it mean to Kirk Cousins and Delvin Cook? I looked into Kubes' past, and his teams in the past have not been afraid to move on. Uh, so I want to discuss that with you and Alex Boone. And there's a bunch of scenarios that I've laid out that I want to talk about if-then sort of thing. So we'll do that when we return. Matthew Collar, ESPN's Courtney Cronin. Alex Boone will join us when we return. Here you listen to Purple Daily on Score North. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest-growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. I think it's still pretty early right now, but uh, you know those conversations will happen in time, and uh, I've got enough to focus on, you know, with uh, getting ready for this next season. But uh, you know, certainly love Minnesota and would love to be there for for a long time. See, uh, now that you've seen the Mike Bloomberg video of him shaking a dog's face. I just, you can see why I started laughing at it during our last segment. It is so funny. It's like, have you ever met a dog before? It's like, just, just pat him on the back. Don't shake his mouth. <laughs> so, I, don't, I don't know what's funnier, that or my draft promo. Uh, no, your draft promo is definitely funnier. So, Alex Boone, that's how the show's going. How are you? I'm doing great, man. I'm fired up. You guys fired up today? Yes, definitely. Uh, we have the Super Bowl. We have Kirk Cousins talking about contract extensions. I've got oh, a bunch baby. of scenarios. We officially have Gary, Gary, as the uh, offensive coordinator. So let's let's start there, dude, Alex. Where, where, where you been the last week? I don't we were talking about around. this all last yeah, week, I know. dude. I was just around doing my thing. Um, you left me with Rami. Are we not going to talk about yeah, this? I know. And Courtney left <laughs> me with Rami? Really? All right. That was the best part, is that she bailed on you, too. It wasn't Everybody just, bailed. Wasn't just me. I was going to be a draft scout. Don't yeah, worry about she, it. She was I at the Senior Bowl draft scout. I was looking at wingspans. and That sounds horrible. Horrible <laughs> hips. Everything about that sounds terrible. The combine, Mobile, the Senior Bowl, all, it sounds terrible. The video clips where you have no idea what's going on, oh my and God. neither does the person who tweeted it. And that's or the, the people best. that are playing in it. They're yeah. like, what's going on? What are we here for? It's, it's so fun. Look at the hand placement of this one-on-one drill. You're like, <laughs> you don't know what the hell you're talking about. Not a cl- I love <laughs> how he gets a 45-degree angle out of the bend in his left knee, and then if you watch right here, the hips will engage. Oh, God, that's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's terrible. Uh, 
You have no idea what you're talking yeah, about. Anybody. Whatever. But uh, it certainly was in my Twitter feed a lot. So anyway, uh, and if it's on Twitter, it's definitely a fact, uh, as we learned the other day. But that's so another conversation. So, all right. Well, I've got a way for us to push the conversation forward about Gary, because I know Gary. you guys talked about it um, last week. I wrote today at scorenorth.com, Alex, what does the commitment to Kubiak mean for Cousins and Delvin Cook in their extensions? It. And thank you for reading it. So you, it. you know the I premise. Loved it. Dude, I love it. The premise is that in Gary's past, they've taken quarterbacks who are pretty good, not great, and moved on from them. Mm-hmm. And they've made a lot of guys into kings as running backs, including most recently Ronnie Hillman and C.J. Anderson, who they won the Super Bowl with. Do you think that Gary Kubiak being here and having a system that works so well for quarterbacks and running backs will influence the decision on what they do with those two potential contract extensions? Yes, absolutely. And I think if you even look even more into it, look at these two teams that are in the Super Bowl right now. Like, they're not really led by one guy. Like, I know San Francisco's kind of, they've got Mostert coming on right now. But for the year, it's a committee of guys. And when you look at Gary's offense, and I love the piece you did today, because it's so true. When you're in an offense like this, you don't have to be a stellar quarterback. We're not asking you to stand back there for 10 seconds. We're asking you to fake a handoff and then just hit your back foot and throw it. Like, you don't have to be the most amazing quarterback either or have the best accuracy. You just got to be able to be cool under pressure at times. And for the running backs, I mean, you look at this offense. How many guys are going to want to come here now? How many guys are going to be like, listen, I'll go, I'll go play there. You're going to hand the ball to me 30 times? I'm there, dude. I won't even, I, you don't even have to pay me a ton to come. You're going to give me my opportunity. You're going to give me the chance to be the next guy in this league. There's going to be guys that love this, and that works well for the team, too, because then all of a sudden you're a hot commodity for people that want to be there. And you talk about these quarterbacks. I mean, how many quarterbacks have been drafted as of lately that were like, wow, this is, this is just, ooh, my God, this is the future? In a Gary Kubiak <laughs> offense, it's not like that. Yeah. It's like, hey, man, you're going to pretend to hand it to him, and then you're just going to stand there and throw it real quick. No bigs, right? We got this. That's what's going to be so fun about this. Dude, that piece you, you were doing, and I had already been thinking about this Dalvin Cook extension because I was looking at the playoffs like, man, this Super Bowl team, they don't really have any big-name running back. They just got a committee of guys, and they look good when they do it. So does this mean that Dalvin maybe not getting what he wants here? Is, it like, is this going to be the end, especially after Zeke? I mean, dude, mm-hmm. Zeke got paid and nothing really happened down there. So now everyone's like, are we done paying running backs? Is this over? Did the flame just get extinguished? Well, then I'm wondering what they do. Because if, let's stick on that point for now, because the Kirk extension, I think, is its own conversation. And, and you don't necessarily need to tie both together, even though it makes sense to. But in terms of prioritizing and figuring it out, I mean, Dalvin's certainly in the forefront. But if you look at what they're doing in, in Kyle brought Tevin Coleman with him from Atlanta and with you know, Raheem Mostert has a chance to reinvent himself in San Francisco. And that's great. And even Debo Samuel and how hard he is to bring down as a rusher when they can use him either as a running back or receiver, they've got a committee and that's even without having Jarek McKinnon. Like, remember how much money that guy made two years ago in free agency and he has not seen the field at all. Yep. Right. Um, And Brita. That's the way. There's tons of guys back there. And and use check too. So it's kind of similar to the build and the makeup of what they have in Minnesota, but obviously I think that they've gotten more out of their quote-unquote, I guess you'd call them role players, behind their, I don't know, who would be their main guy? Which you put, you'd you probably put Mossert as yeah, main oh, guy. Yeah, for sure, Mossert's number one. He's their number but one. Then, he's off. But then what do you do if you're going to try to mimic that? Let's say that that's the, the gold standard for now on. Um, 
what do you do with Dalvin and what do you do with the draft capital that you have? Because you really don't have a number three. As we found out, like Mike Boone is probably not that guy, at least, you know, in a role where he could carry, you know, he's not going to carry a heavy load. Well, Maybe you know he, Madison is good and you yes. could draft someone else. So, right. so is that you're using your second round pick and you're not paying Dalvin more I mean, than what, 10 a year? Elvin Kamara is a third round pick. Madison is a third round pick. Kareem Hunt, when he was great before he sort of, you know, had the other issues. He was, I believe, a third-round pick. Yeah. I mean, it, if you truly believe that your system can be a kingmaker out of running backs like Mike Anderson and Tatum Bell throughout the history, Ron Dane, I discovered, and Ron I had Dane. forgotten about this, Ron Actual Dane averaged 5.1 yards per carry at limited duty for Gary Kubiak, which is totally Wisconsin. wacky to think about, right? Um, but, uh, Alex, I mean, I, I think that when we focus on the Delvin Cook part of this, you could argue that maybe Gary would be excited to work with a running back of actual talent because the last time he did, the guy ran for 2,000 yards right. um, in uh, Terrell Davis. And then when Clinton Portis was there briefly, over five yards of carry for two years in a row. But they also traded Clinton Portis, which is another option to talk about potentially with Delvin Cook here if they believe they could get similar production out of someone else. I agree. I think that he probably is looking at this like, man, we could have this guy in our future like this could be a lot of fun but i think they're also worried about like the state of the running backs you're we've talked about how all these guys have gotten paid the last couple years and none of them have really given any good production none of them have really carried their weight so people are looking back like wait a minute everybody that's making it to the super bowl is not doing this one thing they're not paying one guy it's an average of committee and it's be it's a committee because they're committed to running it 45 times a game listen no matter what happens we're going to hand this ball off 45 times at that rate, somebody is eventually going to stick out. Somebody will eventually come around. And that's what's so fun about this San Fran offense is that they're like, listen, we're just going to hand it off the whole game, and eventually somebody's going to break one. And that person's going to have a hot hand, and we'll ride him for a while. And then when he goes down, somebody else will have a hot hand, and we'll ride them for a while. It's just They just keep changing all these parts, but they're not doing it with one expensive piece, like, like the Derrick Henry. Someone's going to have to pay him a lot of money, but he's going to be the one guy in the backfield that gets it 45 times. Instead of three guys getting it three different ways 45 times like that just throws so much more at a defense and I think when you look at Kubiak's offense you say man that's that's kind of what this offense could be right we're going to pitch it a little bit we're going to do some wide handoffs we're going to do some tight zones we're, we every now and then we might throw a trap and power in there but for the most part we're going to keep it on angles and we could have different guys do it different ways we could have yeah. one guy back there be a bruiser like a Chris Carson who's just going to truck stick you right and then we're going to have a guy like Alexander Madison who's going to be able to run through you around you at times he looks good doing other things but you have these guys that just line up in different ways, and then a defense is like, my God, how are they going to hit us this time? Well, and it's interesting that you you bring that up with the different styles of running backs and how that can be effective in a committee um, as long as you have those guys healthy in your different roles. The Vikings in the year of 2017 ranked 7th in the NFL in rushing, 122 yards per game with largely Jarek McKinnon and Latavius Murray. Latavius Murray, a non-expensive free agent power runner, and Jarek McKinnon, the screen pass guy, yards after catch guy, explosive and quick and all that stuff. And they put up numbers that weren't very different from what they did this year with Delvin Cook carrying the entire load. And it's none of this would ever be to say... Hey, man, Delvin Cook's not that good. Oh, no, he's that good. He's great. But is it worth paying someone $15 million when, when you went 13-3? and three, You had 
a similar effectiveness of a running game with two guys that were not Delvin Cook. They were just good, and they weren't unbelievably great. They were they were just good players who could handle the exact roles, and Pat Shermer did a great job of putting them in their types of positions to succeed. The screen game was fantastic that year, largely because of Jarek McKinnon, and that's probably what got him so much money from Kyle Shanahan is because he was really effective in the passing game as well. Could you find other people to do the job? And when they go into those meetings, you know that Mike Zimmer is going to be like, if you guys don't extend Dalvin Cook, I am lighting myself on fire in this room. <laughs> but if Gary says, hey there, you know who uh, Tatum Bell is? And everyone goes, no. And you're like, that, exactly. Exactly. No one else does either. Well, and yet I got him to have a great season one year. So I wonder about the influence. That's my big question here is, what would Gary want, and what level of influence do we think he has? Well, Courtney? I think that the first thing you have to worry about there, if you don't give Dalvin what he wants, though, is he going to play? I don't think he will. I think I, he's and so sit. that kind of puts you in a bind, right? Like, you have to give in to some degree. And maybe it's not this astronomical figure where he's, you know, getting Le'Veon Bell, Todd Gurley type money, but make him enough till he's happy, or at least content with a, with a long-term extension, I just don't think that you could do it any other way. I don't think he's taking the field without Gurley or or Ezekiel Elliott type of money. I I think that that's what he's going to seek this offseason. And that's why you might look at it like a Clinton Portis situation where you say, look, this guy is super great and maybe a top three in the entire league. But if you're asking for $15 million a year, we just can't do it. They just don't have the cap space in the future. No, I understand that. But I also think that it's not as simple as saying, we'll just go get another one. Right? It has been through his career. That's kind of the point of the article. That's, and I think that's the whole point of this is that basically what you, what you drew on this in the article when it was great was that you can put somebody back there because you're going to pair him with another guy and another guy, and eventually it's just going to keep going, and it, it just it trickles off of itself, and the way the offense is run is wide zone, tight zone, pitch, and it's, man, we could throw everybody back there. But if you're saying that he's not coming back for more money, you're number one, you don't just go, hey, listen, just make me happy and I'll come back. You're like, listen, dude, I want to be the happiest in mm-hmm. the room of rooms. Yeah, right. So he yeah. is going to be asking for like $16 million. Does he do it? I don't think he does. I think instead he's like, listen, I'm in a, I'm in a position right now, I'm in a room with a bunch of other running backs, and we're all kind of looking around at each other going, what's going to happen to us, right? Zeke got paid, Le'Veon Bell got paid, uh, my man down at the Rams got paid, Todd Gurley. Where's the production from any one of those three? You don't think the rest of the league's looking around going, yo, what are we doing? Mm-hmm. What are we paying these guys $15 million mm-hmm. for yeah. not to catch a screen pass? Like, I get, and don't ever get me wrong, because I've always said that Christian McCaffrey and Frank Gore and Dalvin Cook, those guys make this league really fun to watch. But eventually people go, hey, we, just, we don't have to pay them like, we, like they were. We can get a bunch of guys back here. Raheem Mostert played on seven teams. We, the, 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 we can find these guys everywhere. We just need to get in sync. We need to find what fits them. Okay. And the thing that goes so well with those guys is they play special teams. They do other positions. Like That's why those guys are so effective, and it's so good to have a committee backfield because you're like, hey, we got our whole punt team right here. This is great. This is our punt return team. This is our kickoff team. Like These guys do a lot of roles, and that's what makes them so important. Do you worry, though, that... You can't find them quick enough. When you look at the window, if we start, talk about the window to win, as it, where they're at right now, Kirk not knowing if an extension is going to get worked out, what that would be, how many more years, and also the other moving parts on offense. Like, what if you don't find the next Arian Foster, the next? Yeah, there's a know, risk factor for you sure. Will, though you will, you they always do. This is their job. 
We are really, really good at our job. We will find the next guy. You just got to give us a minute or two. At times, they're like, hey, do what the Bills did. Throw a bunch of people in a room and go, hey, fight it out. Top five guys make the team. The other guy's got to go. And watch how fast those guys go. I'll figure this out. This is how it's going to be done. And they Would got you- their best running back off of, what, second or third round pick? Singletary? Dude. Yeah, I mean that's it's they're out there. Running backs are everywhere nowadays. Everybody wants to be a running back. You can find them in the draft. You can find them in free agency. You can find them undrafted. You just got to find guys that work well in your system. Jonathan has two interns who are running backs, so like they could step Let's right go. in, average four and a half yards a carry. We don't have interns. <laughs> um, so let me switch gears on this though, because the cousins aspect of it, because I, I think that they're in in terms of Delvin in a tough spot because we all know this about running backs, but also if you trade Delvin Cook, I think a lot of fans would be like, you did what? Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and there's got to be some element of that. Every team would say, oh, we don't care what people think, but you have to. And this team has been very loyal to their players that they like and that they have developed. Um, on the Kirk Cousins extension part, Courtney, I tell the story in, in my article of one Brian Greasy, who was a third-round draft pick and won a lot of games with them. He won him and Gus Ferrat, Gus, fan of the Gus. show and uh, friend of the show, Gus Ferrat, who comes on from time to time. But they won 11 games with Gus Farad and Brian Greasy and then were, I think, in the playoff race two years later. But they just decided, you know, I think we need someone who's a little more talented. And they went and got Jake Plummer, a little more dynamic, a guy who was a great athlete. And they had more success, didn't win a Super Bowl, but had more success with Jake Plummer. Do you think Gary would look at the quarterback position and say, oh, man, if you give me someone with even a decent amount of talent at this position who is a second-round, third-round pick, who can execute the offense, we could probably get a lot of the same production for maybe like $25 million less dollars. Or would Gary look at it and say, no, this quarterback is kind of perfect for what I want to do? Well, I can see it out of both sides. Like, I mean, he has a background in evaluation. I mean, he spent the last two years in Denver on the personnel side of evaluating college players and you know, going through that process where he's not somebody who's like, I just need my guy and that's it. I mean, he can work with that. I wrote an article that I was trying to find during the break um, last year. I mean, you brought up Jake Plummer, three straight playoff appearances from 03 to 05. Matt Schaub with career highs in passing attempts, uh, passing in attempts in 2009. They had a top five offense three years in a row with Matt Schaub. Joe Flacco. Put up better numbers there when in in the super than his Super Bowl year when yep. Kubiak was 2014 the one odd year he was in Baltimore I don't really understand that one but um he couldn't get much out of Trevor Simeon no so, but um, um yeah I mean come on Gary it's, it's the fine. problem same with Osweiler but anyways yeah well, um neither could anybody else uh, but no I mean I it's hard because you got to wonder too did Gary agree to this job to say yeah I'll take over OC duties because we're keeping Kirk Cousins because we're going to extend him. And Cook. And, and that Cook, could be like, part of it, too. You know, what? what's the appeal there? Well, he gets to keep his guys. That continuity aspect that Mike Zimmer was talking about, Gary's probably preaching the same thing. Because Kirk's been in his system. Because Dalvin's been in his system for the yeah. last two years. Because we're calling the Minnesota Vikings offense from 2019 Gary's offense. Yeah. I mean, that was. And that factor, I think, played a big role in Gary deciding to stay. Because you don't have to have turnover. You don't have to teach it again. You've got guys that you know, hey, the outside zone scheme here works. The play action stuff that we do, the bootlegs, the design rollouts, the whole thing, it works. Plus, you Within can, the confines of the strengths of the quarterback. I just think that... Um, you, you can give anybody that you bring in, the other part of this too, that if you're factoring how much money it's worth, 
a hell of a supporting cast. I mean, sure. with yeah. two tight ends who can play, potentially, we'll see how long Kyle Rudolph, but at very least, Irv Smith is going to be mm-hmm. a good player for a long time. And if you keep Stephon Diggs happy enough to retain him, he is still in his prime. He will be for a while. Same with Adam Thielen. Uh, you could continue to build the offensive line. I mean, there, Here, there, here's there are a lot question, of things though. you could give someone else. Do you think that if they do pay Diggs or uh, Dalvin, do you think Diggs sees the writing on the wall and is just like, listen, let me go? Because if you're paying him, you're clearly ready to give him the ball more than me. Yes. And at this point, I'm ready to walk out the door. Well, You know what I'm saying? Like You're going to have to give one for the other now because everyone's going to see the writing on the wall. They're going to be like, well, sorry, buddy. It's a run-first offense still. like It's just how it's going to be. And yeah. While we might want you to be the number one receiver, everyone's going to double you the whole game, and all of a sudden it's going to make it a whole lot harder for you to get the ball because we're already giving him the ball two-thirds of the time. And then we got to split it between you, Thielen, Rudy, Irv, Maybe even C.J. Ham at times, like Pro Bowler, by the way, neck roll forever. There Love will be guy. checkdowns to C.J., we know that. No question. Now, <laughs> Pro Bowler C.J. Ham. Uh, but much deserved. Much deserved. When we, that's what I'm saying. Like, What are you going to give? You've given Dalvin a big contract, everyone's going to be like, okay, that's the guy now. Yep. Yeah. Someone's going to get pissed. And no, Alex like, I want is right. Out. And, and I mean, that's the thing that you wonder, too. The, the tabled conversation from week four, where... Yeah. That Does, has not gone away. It's not gone mind. away. It's just it kind of been swept under the, under the rug or at least like put on pause where you got to think that that conversation between his representation and the Vikings is coming up again yep. that if you do extend Dalvin Cook then he's kind of at least just in term contractually speaking look at the contract that Adam Thielen has look at the contract that Dalvin Cook could potentially have and look at the very team friendly deal that Stefan Diggs took two off seasons ago. Like, either rework him, which you're probably not going to have the money to do, or let him walk. Or find a way that maybe that's where your left guard, your, you know, your offensive line capital, maybe that's where it comes from. Um, and potentially, you know, potentially another draft pick. Because you're not getting that. I just don't think you're getting that through free agency, given, you know, the price of those guys and what they couldn't even afford last year. Man, I, I don't think that you find your guard in the draft. I don't. I just don't think these young. I don't. Are, I don't either. Not at twenty five. Rookies in win now situations. Not not, not 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 only that, but you're in the north, dude. You're playing different defenses. Like you're not going to find the Quentin Nelson again. I'm sorry, he's just not going to be rolling around for another five years. Like it's not just at twenty five anyway. It's I mean, yeah, twenty fifth overall pick. And even if you have to do that, you got to trade in like capital, and you're like, what are we giving for one, two, three? Like we were giving up a lot for this, and then it doesn't work out, and then you're like, man, here we are again. I think if you're going to try and do anything, you're going to have to make a trade somewhere. If you really, because dude, if you're looking at the free agency list, it, uh, Donald Penn is at like eight. Yeah, yeah dude, I got right. a lot yeah. of respect for D Penn. I do. My man is like 42, still playing, doing <laughs> it well. But my God, if you're making like eight, you're not looking past that. You're not like, well, we could. Uh, uh, no, we can't. No, we can't. We, yeah, and, we're going to have to trade somebody. They ran into this last year because there's a couple of good offensive linemen on the market, but there's other teams that have $90 million in cap space, and you just right. can't. Right, Rogers Heffold, you just couldn't beat them. Uh, I'm so sure you, you, I'm sure you wanted him. Right, yeah. I'm sure the guy you, he replaced. I'm sure you wanted him, but like you couldn't afford that. Uh, so, But eventually you're going to have to start affording it. Right. Because eventually yeah. it's going to start and coming And where's out. the space going to come from? And that's the amazing Ooh. conundrum that the Vikings are in. Uh, I want to ask you guys both a question about this. So let's say that Gary, and we'll do this on the other side of the break, Gary goes into the room and he takes one of those Gary Kubiak paws and he says, you know, in that raspy voice that says you know, he's been through some things, you know... Yeah, I got to say, I want to stick with this Kirk guy. I want to extend him. And I think we can win by doing blank. And 
Let's talk about what that would be if they extend Cousins when we return. Plus, the Super Bowl, one of the three of us, I won't say who, played in the Super Bowl mm-hmm. once. And so uh, we're going to discuss that, the 49ers in the Super Bowl, one of our former teams. Not sure which one. Uh, we'll uh, discuss when we return here. Alex Boone, Courtney Cronin, and Matthew Collar. You listen to Purple Daily on Score North. Jonathan here with the Score North download. We'll get you back to Purple Daily in just a second. But first, Destination Winter St. Paul featuring the Wells Fargo Winter Skate and the Securian Financial Super Slide is open now through February 22nd. Over at CHS Field in St. Paul, the Wells Fargo Winter Skate opens daily at 11 a.m. And the Securian Financial Super Slide is open Thursday through Sunday. For more information, visit scorenorth.com, keyword winter. We'll talk in a second about how the Vikings build around Cousins if they give him an extension. Well, another QB in the league who has an interesting contract situation this offseason, Tom Brady, or is Tom Brady. Joe Montana talking to NFL Network this week had some advice for Tom about a potential move saying. Tom Brady may go through that. Would you have any advice for him if he ends up switching teams? Don't. If you don't have to. (laughs) It's just, I mean, it's a process to go through and it takes time to get used to the team. If they let him have his own offense there, yeah, that makes it a little bit easier. I just can't see how they would let him leave. Join Minnesota United FC for their third annual boot soccer tournament this year on the Great Lawn over at Allianz Field on Sunday, February 9th. For more details or to register your team, visit scorenorth.com keyword boot. That's been your Score North download. Now back to the final segment of the day of Purple Daily. Thank you, Jonathan. Matthew Collar, Alex Boone, and Courtney Cronin here. And uh, the question that I laid out, and I hope you were all thinking deeply about this in the break, was if Kirk Cousins does get extended then Gary Kubiak would tell the Vikings that they need to do blank to win. Because Kubiak is the guy with some rings. He's the one you should be going to. When, Four of them, when, right? When Mike Zimmer talks about getting over the hump, like Kubes is one of those guys who can tell you the insight into what it takes to win in the playoffs because he's been there as an offensive coordinator and as a head coach and been able to do that. So, um, Alex, what, what do you think that Kubes would tell uh, Mike Zimmer so and Rick Spielman? So he walks in and, like, in his Josh Brolin voice, he's just like, so listen, I need you to extend Kirk. Well, let's say that they, then, they tell him, Gary, you don't have a say in this. We're extending Kirk Cousins. Great. And, and, and then well, Gary says, well, if you extend Kirk, then you better blink or we're never going to win. So what would that be? Stay out of my offense. I really do think, like, you looking at this, because you, you, I was thinking about it, and not only just for this question, but, like, if you extend Kirk, what else can you do? I mean, are you are you really legitimately going to be able to extend Kirk and Dalvin and get help on the O line? You don't need any. Not easy I mean, to do, right? And then you got to you got to talk about problems on defense. Like we haven't even talked about the other side of the ball. And then you sit there and you're like, well, we got to fix the O line. We got to do some things. I really do think if they, he says, hey, listen, we gave you Kirk, he'll be like, great. Now just stay out of my offense and I'll take care of it. And I think he will. I think we, he's given the track record and the players that he has had and, and had success with. I mean, you talk about you were talking about Matt Schwab before. I mean, just what he's done. I think that Zim alone will be like, "Listen, we're going to give you Kirk, and we're out of here. We'll see you later. You fix that. We're going to be over here and have fun." I would say his first line of business, like, so Kirk's extended, and Gary says we're focusing on the offensive line. But that has to be the first upgrade that you make over a Dalvin Cook. Uh, if you're prioritizing the extensions and, mm-hmm. and where you fit in potential free agents and, and trying to keep all the pieces together, that he goes out and he finds your best 
option at left guard. And potentially even, I know Alex, you're going to hate me for saying this, but if you're thinking about like upgrading your tackle spots, well, maybe this is the year that you move Brian O'Neill over to left tackle and you move because it's not a bad option to keep Riley Reef, but maybe you move him to right tackle. And I know that I'm about to hear a groan on the other line because we've, we've talked about this before, but that's just, if you're thinking about piecemealing the offensive line, fixing it, quote unquote, fixing it, because that's hard, maybe that's the route you go first. But, you know, he, he's had offenses that have ranked top 10 in net yards per attempt 12 times since 1995. Yeah, it's crazy. That's a really interesting stat. I remember when, when he came in here, um, you know, and his scoring offenses cracked the top 11 10 times. So, I mean, the stuff that they did this past year, where there were, what, six in yards per attempt, um, eighth in scoring, well, a lot of that's the, the framework that he's laid out in 21 years as an offensive coordinator, a head coach. So, to Alex's point, stay out of my offense, I know what I'm doing, you know, but it's also give me what I need in order to keep doing what I was what I've done so well, which you know he's he needs to be able to fix the pieces of the offensive line that he deems are an issue. Well, that is what my answer was going to be is if you're if you're going to keep cousins, you have to find me fifteen million dollars a year or something or a first round pick for a left tackle. Do it, you really it, think for a left tackle? It just is the most important position by far. I don't even think it's close. And in Gary's offense, that you know, center might be up there. And I don't know what you have in Garrett Bradbury yet. We got to see year two. Year one of an offensive lineman is just a crazy, probably a nightmare for most offensive linemen. Like, oh, uh, first game, you just have to face this guy. His name's Grady Jarrett. Just go ahead and be fine. Um, and then he kills you, and you kind of go from there. But you know, we'll see in the second, third year where Garrett Bradbury goes to. I'm not ready to say that's not working out. I think center in. Kubiak's offense is really important, but just in football history and with this particular quarterback, I don't think you can have a regular left tackle. Riley Reef is a regular left tackle. He's right dead center in the middle average, and he's probably not going up. He's going down as he gets injured and, and this year mostly healthy, but he'll start to fade with the amount of injuries that he's had. If I'm Gary, I'm saying I need someone to, when we have a drop back situation, third down and seven in a big game, and Nick freaking Bosa is over there, over my left tackle, this guy is going to stop that guy. That's what I need, and that gives us a shot. Because how many times do we see on third down and seven with Kirk Cousins, out of the shotgun, you can't play action, fake anybody in that situation, and he stands there, and he stands there, and then things start to corrode around him, and boom, you're sacked. And that ruins so many drives with this team and this quarterback in big games. And I don't know if you agree with me, Alex, but that would be, if I'm Gary, that would be the first thing I say is, okay, we can do that, but you better find a heck of a lot of money or a high draft pick to give me something to protect this guy when we are in those big situations, because that's kind of why we lose a lot. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think, man, I was, I was thinking that if you're going to really go down this Dalvin Cook road where you're going to pay him, eventually Diggs is probably going to be like, listen, man, why don't we just meet at the fork and we'll go our separate ways? Yeah, yeah. Why not send him? Just hear me out. Now, this is one of two places because Jonathan had a great idea we were talking about before the show. And we'll talk about it after this. But why, why wouldn't you send him maybe over to Stefanski and say, hey, listen, you got a Pro Bowl left guard over there in Joel Patino. We'd kind of like to take him over. We could really use him over here. I think he's a guy that'd be gritty enough to join the North. And also, he's athletic enough to fit in in a Kubiak-type offense. And you don't really have to get rid of Riley. I get what you're saying. Like You're upset because 
On the most crucial downs, the biggest playmakers show up, and it's not on the offensive line. It's always on the defensive line, and you're like, dude, come on. It cannot be that hard. But I think that if you were to mitigate the problems, because you can't get rid of Garrett Bradbury, and you can't just leave him on an island with Josh Klein and, Ger- and Pat Elfline. Yeah. Like, that is leaving him in the middle by himself. So you say, hey, listen, let's remedy this problem. Number one, Riley, your cap number's got to come down. Number two, we're going to send Diggs over to Cleveland to join Stefanski and his offense because they're probably going to be getting rid of OBJ Sue because that dude's going to be wanting out of there. So you say, hey, there's that problem solved. There's your offense, Coops. Coops is like, great, thanks so much. Now stay out of it. There we go. Yeah, I think if um, anyone traded Stephon Diggs for a left guard, though, um, it'd be a fight. I, I would. What about Trent Williams? Would lose my mind. Now, Trent because Williams is more interesting. Jonathan to me. brought that up, and I said, I my answer was, I don't think he would leave because Ron Rivera is there now. Yeah, I think and that changes seems, everything. Yeah, yep. he seems really excited to come back. He's like, I'm back. They're just playing. Didn't mean it. Like we get why he was upset. Totally understandable. He had cancer uh, in the brain, and they were totally <laughs> misdiagnosed. That like that, we understand why you were yeah. upset, dude. But now the problem's solved, and I don't think he wants to leave. I think he wants to stay there and be a oh, redskin forever. Like That's his big thing, dude. But yeah, it, can, that, would, that would be interesting, though. That would be a it, serious trade. Uh, Courtney, is there another answer to this? Other than offensive line, because you know Alex is focusing on improving that left guard, and considering that you've got to face Akeem Hicks and Kenny Clark four times a year, that makes a lot of sense. That interior pressure ruins mm-hmm. Kirk Cousins most of the time. So it's a different positional value for this team than it would be um, for potentially other teams. Is there another answer, though? I mean, is Kubiak going to say anything else other than okay, well, if you're keeping Kirk, then you have to blank. I mean, is it keep Delvin? Is it get me a third receiver? Is it make sure that your defense is on point? Like, what else would it be? Well, I think there is, and I know I keep flip-flopping on this, or at least sounding like it, I do think there is reason to believe that you can't just plug and play another running back. I mean, yes, he's done it, but he's also yeah, he spoke. might love Delvin. I think he does. Probably, you probably listen does. to how I'm he sure talks he about him. Yeah. Like that is a, that is a dynamic playmaker. They don't come around all the time where you have somebody who's that good. I mean, granted, he's only he's never been able to play a fully healthy season. I don't know if that matters to Gary because Gary spoke pretty highly of the way that they were able to adjust and get other guys involved when Thielen went down, when Cook went down. I mean, he obviously had a big part in that. Um I think it's basically let me control what we're doing offensively in the draft. By and large, yeah. top to bottom, yeah. like give me the keys to you know, Rick, that's fine. I want to know how much power pick- he has over the roster. We're picking it together. Because if you're I'm Kubiak, it. you have so much uh, leverage. Zimmer loves you. He says you're the best thing that ever happened. And you're <laughs> like, okay, well, you guys are already paying me probably a lot of money. Because uh, I wasn't going to leave the ranch for nothing. But does he say, okay, I'll be your OC. But you got to let me. you got to let me do this. I think he is able to have a lot of say in decisions in the draft and free agency. And if I'm him, I would demand that because you've seen what's happened when the offensive coordinator and the front and the the head coach and the general manager don't get on the same page. And that's the 2018 draft. And that's the 2018 season. Mm -hmm. Like how many times did we hear about F tight end and a million other things that John DeFilippo wanted and it just never panned out. Right. And then what happens? They go get an F tight end yes. with a second round pick and they get an offensive lineman with the first overall pick um in 2019. So, you know, there's I think that the draft decisions, even before you get to the season and training camp and trying to put this thing together, 
Gary being able to say, this is my guy, this is who I want, we're doing this because it's going to benefit Kirk, because it's going to benefit what we already have. You you will talk about continuity. Well, I can find you my zone fits because mm-hmm. I know what I know. This is my offense. I invented it, um, or at least this version of it. Uh, I how, know. How cocky do you think Gary is about how great his That's offense a great question has been? Is. <laughs> I really would love to know. It, it doesn't come across at all. He's more of like, well, you know, I just try to run them play actions, but like, but <laughs> like to, but like to his family, is he like, you guys believe how awesome I am, <laughs> Brian Greasy? Are you bleeping kidding me? <laughs> Eleven and five. Tatum Bell, Mike Anderson. Who the bleep is that? There's like a million guys named Mike uh, Anderson. Uh, <laughs> no, he doesn't seem like that. Guy no, guy. not at all. He's amazing. I love his. I love his. No, I. I, I, that sounds well and good. The, my problem is how much power does he really have? Like yeah. On the day of the draft, I'd when love it comes to know. down to his F tight end or whatever he wants, and they're like, I don't know, there's a cornerback over here, guys. <laughs> yeah, yep, yep. Really use yes. at this time. Like, 18 all over again. Remember, it, all of a sudden, what we told Gary in April doesn't matter anymore because this is right now. Like We got to go right now. And it's like, man, I. I would think that you're right. For him to get off the ranch, it's like, listen, I want total control. I want yeah. full control. No one's allowed in. No one's allowed out without my say. But how much of that really happens remains to be seen. Yeah, and that's. I think that's something that we'll figure out by how it goes. Yeah. Like, as we go along here, we'll start to learn... All right, okay, this must be a Gary type of move, just like the way that we've seen with the Zimmer moves, re-signing Anthony Barr. Okay, that is a Mike Zimmer move. That's not that's the analytics people in the front office. We're not saying definitely bring back a linebacker at that price. Like that is Mike Zimmer wants that guy. And I think we'll start to figure out as we go along just what type of moves matter to Gary Kubiak and if they're happening. Well, look at how the first four rounds of the draft panned out last season. All offense, two offensive linemen, a running back, and a tight end. I mean, you can't tell me that Gary's fingerprints weren't all over that. And Mike Zimmer just sitting back, patiently waiting for the fifth round so we could finally make a defensive pick for a guy who didn't really do anything this year. I mean, that... That, to me, when we were watching that whole thing unfold, yeah. and the type of fits, at least the guys from their draft profile, and, and, and kind of what we knew about Garrett Bradbury and Drew Samia, specifically, they come from zone schemes. So, I mean, that's Gary. Like, that's not somebody picking out of position and saying, oh, well, you know, just, just fit this guy in, figure it out. To me, that was what Gary, because he had the background in personnel and in scouting for two seasons in Denver, also... um on top of everything that he did as a head coach and as an offensive coordinator, he knows what works. So while he's never going to come out and publicly say, yep, those are my guys, I yes. picked them all, I kicked everybody out of the room and started manipulating the draft board. Gary went rogue and started <laughs> drafting <went> people. <laughs> <laughs> Tell them, Garrett Bradbury. Uh, yeah, well, and that's you know not a surprise that uh, they would want a center for Gary, and I feel like that was a bit of a Gary pick. Um, but... Do you, do you think that was a hit or a miss before we go any further? Can, can we really determine it I yet? can't decide. I think that when you draft a guy who played against mostly weaker competition and comes in and just gets shredded and is one of the worst pass-blocking centers in the NFL, it's a miss right now. That doesn't mean that he can't get a lot better, but if you were thinking this is going to be your Alex Mack, and that's the only way you spend a first-round pick on a guy is if you think right. it's going to be Alex Mack, or you know Travis Frederick, no, it's not that, and it doesn't. It didn't show any signs of being that, and that th- that's where I would look at it and go, maybe you guys got a little overzealous about drafting a, a center in the first round. Just positional value, 
those guys usually you got to be something else. You got to right. be Tom Nalen if you're going to be, and I don't think he was even that sort of pick. Dude, like Dwight Stevenson, unbelievable. Tom Nalen was, but but you know, I mean, I think there is a point to be made there that if you were comparing a first round pick and positional value, there's a reason that corner is often a good pick in the first round or left tackle because if you or quarterback because if you hit those are so valuable it can change your franchise. Right. That's rarely true for a center and the production they got from him this year was you could equate that to like an average free agent that was like the fourth best free agent center. Or but is it going to end up panning out where you have the chance to pick up his fifth year option, you have your franchise Center. That's the projection, right. at least. Right. They don't know, but I think number one in order for that to happen, he's got to come back a little bit bigger. Like, oh yeah. You, oh, yeah. you, you, you got to come eating back. Peanut butter and jelly right. every hour on the hour. You need to be prepared to fight the big boys. Don't drink diet soda, my right? Because year two gets worse, man. Because like people saw your your floor and they're like, okay, well now he's got to go up. If you come back and you don't raise the bar, people yep. are like, dude, no, 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 that's the lead. You got to get better. You're getting worse. And I think is. Makeup is good in terms of like your character and work ethic. And so that I would trust that he will get bigger and better. And we look at Brian O'Neill. I mean, that guy in his first couple of games was being picked up and just walked back to the quarterback in 2018. And this year took a big step forward. So I, I'm willing to put on hold uh, what we've seen from him. Just that, you know, rookies, it's very hard to judge where they're going to go. Uh, let me switch gears with you guys and ask Courtney what it was like to play in the Super Bowl against the Ravens. It was a, it was a <laughs> fantastic experience. I mean, I remember when the, the lights, lights went out, out yes. and I just looked around and I, I wasn't Tasker sure what happened. had no idea what was going on on the sideline and uh, everybody was, was lost and confused. Wait, Alex, I do want to know, what was yeah. it like when the lights went out? It was insane. It was. Like, it was what insane. did you... What did you think happened? Check this out. So if I'm if I'm not mistaken, it was second down, about to be third down. We were just going back to the huddle, and all of a sudden everything went black. And my first thought was, oh, my God, I blacked out. And I was like, <laughs> man, I'm, I must have been really excited. And so then all of a sudden the emergency lights kick on, and before they kicked on, I swear to God, 100 FBI agents were on the field, and they were storming the field. And they were like, get to your sidelines right now. Like, they didn't even ask the refs to interject. They just had – they were ready to go. Feds are they, undefeated. Dude, they were like, we don't know what's going on, but if everybody doesn't sit down right now, it's going to get real serious. So we're like, all right, just, just, just calm down. Everybody calm down. Do what the FBI says. Do whatever they say. So we're talking to these guys on Sunday. like, hey, man, you realize this is a big sporting event, right? Like, you just you just barged right in here. They're like, dude, the power went out. We don't know if it's terrorists. We don't know what's going on. Mm. I'm like, all right, dude, that's a different word. Like, you can't just throw that around here. He was like, dude, this is for real. Like, we're not playing with you guys. We shut down your game. We had to rewarm up. But for whatever reason, after that happened, it kicked new life into us because we started yeah. to come back. But, you know, when you're first and goal on the four with the best offensive line in the history of the NFL, you throw the ball four times with a quarterback that probably shouldn't be throwing the ball. That's what happens. You, you know, lose. it is wild that uh, Don't do it. Seattle. Don't. Well, I was just thinking, you know, Don't Se- do it. Seattle would have a Super Bowl if they ran the ball. You would have a Super Bowl ring if you ran the ball, probably. And how about Matt Ryan would have a Super Bowl ring if they just ran, ran the, the ball, ball and ran the clock instead out. of taking a holding penalty and putting them out of field goal position, allowing the Patriots to come back? Tom Brady would have two fewer Super Bowls, and we'd be like, hmm, a little bit of a choker. <laughs> it's, Dude, that's how great, blasphemous for you to even say but that. But I think about this all the time. The Panthers... 
And there's something to the intimidation, like the Tiger Woods, so intimidating, Kobe Bryant like this, Michael Jordan like this, so intimidating that other teams melt down because they're so scared of you. And Brady is definitely that. And the Carolina Panthers kicked the ball out of bounds on a kickoff. Like, what? To set up the game-winning drive for Tom Brady. And the the Seahawks don't run. And, you know, you end up with you know Atlanta just completely melting down and all sorts of crazy things happening in that game. And it would be a much different narrative if those three teams had played it differently. And even the Rams, they give up the game-winning drive to to Brady in the first Super Bowl. He's so close to having, like, one. Um, But uh, that aside... Um, what else from that Super Bowl week do you remember? Because I imagine for players, it has to be unlike anything else that they've ever experienced to have that amount of media, that amount of attention, uh, all built up into one game. It's insane. And you guys know because, you, Matt, you've been in the locker room, and you see as you keep winning, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And then like you'll lose, and then everybody leaves. And then you got to start all over again. But when you get in the playoffs, like it instantly ramps up, and then you go to the divisional, the conference. Then you're in the championship, and you're like, man, I can't even get to my own locker. When yes. you go down there, they make you oh, go to media day every day. And in, it's like, in New Orleans, oh, too, when we were oh, there. My God, even for terrible. the playoffs, how many human beings are in that locker room? It was, just it was like insane, dude. crazy. It was so much fun, though, because you had to talk to people all around the world, and you got to go do shows all around the world. And I remember, like, after practice, they would round up, like, 20 of us, and they would just drive us over to Media Row, and then they'd be like, listen, we'll meet back here in two hours. You'd be like, dude, no, don't leave me. They'd be like, see ya. And they'd just take (laughs) off. And you're just stuck there, like, really? i got to answer all these questions now. But a lot of it, too, was looking back. Harbaugh was smart, and he was like, I want to keep these guys busy. I don't want them to have any doubts. I mean, you took us to New Orleans. You had to know there was going to be some crazy times. <laughs> the, the security cameras were in the elevators. They were downstairs in the lobby. Like, they said 49ers on them. Like, they were like, dude, if you guys even think about breaking out of your rooms, mm-hmm. it is on. Like, we are going to arrest you. It was it was the greatest time ever, though, because you got to see so many different personalities down there, so many different people. The guys that were from there would take us around and show us different things. Like, it was really cool. And then, you know, we got to practice at the Saints facility, and we were talking to some of them. We're like, man, you guys got a really nice indoor. This thing's cool. We're like, yeah, it'd be great if we used it in August. But Coach uh, Sean likes us outside throwing up and passing out. I was like, really? <laughs> He's like, yeah, man, we don't ever get to use this thing in August. It's actually like 120 degrees outside, 100% humidity. He's like, makes us better, though, right? I was like, sure. No, probably not. <laughs> probably kills unlikely. half your team. <laughs> they were like, dude, that's just how it goes. I was like, wow. But, dude, it was, it was truly an experience, a lot of fun, too, especially to play Ray Lewis in his last game. That was yeah. intense. Do you remember the weirdest thing you either saw or were, were asked during the media night? Because I always love the sideshow. I mean, yesterday they yeah, we, we did that when they like were when here. it was here a few yeah. years ago at Excel. Um, was that that wasn't when somebody wore the wedding dress to mm. ask Brady to marry them? No, that wasn't. Oh, but I was but, present for other players being asked how hot Brady was yes, on a scale I remember of that one, one to ten. Yeah. So, so what did you do? You remember anything like that? No, I remember that. They tried. There was a, a Mexican TV show that came in and talked all Spanish to me in the right tackle. And we were like, "Dude, we don't we don't speak Spanish." And they kept doing the interview. Like they just they would not stop. And it was like, "We don't speak Spanish." Like we have, 
no S- uh, I don't know what are we saying dude like what are we telling them? and they kept like talking we felt terrible we were like dude I don't know what to say you say something I think it was a bit if they kept talking yeah, right they, like, I don't I don't know what it was but it was you know what a lot of it too is though like at times later in the week you kind of get bombarded by it like you're like listen I'm trying to focus now I'm really trying to pack in like my mind like this is everything I gotta worry about and then like somebody will come and ask you like a joke and throw you off your game and you're like dude this is a lot like you see by Thursday why you're like man this this is really a spectacle isn't it this is more than a game how do you lock in i mean i know that sounds so simple but like when it is such a circus and it is such an international event where you have what is it this year six thousand credentialed media members um and i know that they try to insulate you insulate teams and, and they have practice away and it's closed only to a couple reporters like how is there anything that feels normal about the week at all yeah, I mean, I think the guys keep it normal for you. Everyone tries to be as calm, as cool as possible. I know that to start the week, Harbaugh had came to Joe and I and we were like, listen, we want to set you guys up with dinner wherever you guys want to take the offense out. That way it's like you feel like you guys are together at home doing whatever you want. Like He didn't want basically 53 guys splitting up and going mm-hmm. out into the city. He was like, I want you guys to stay together. So where do we need to send you guys that you're happy, that you feel like you're at home, that you guys can go do like, we'll rent out a whole movie theater if you guys want to go. If you want to go bowling, we'll rent out the whole bowling alley. If you want to go to dinner, we'll, we'll send you anywhere. And it really was just like, listen, you know, we, we're, we're really fine. We'll figure it out on our own. We just kind of want to walk around and be together. And I think that's what scared them the most was the walking around. Because it was like, <laughs> man, you could see something that you shouldn't and be like, man, we should go do that. And you're going to get <laughs> tempted when you're walking down Bourbon Street. Like, yeah. It's hard not to walk down Bourbon and be like, man, that looks like a really fun time. Uh, we could go do some karaoke. It's only what? Oh, my God, it's 1030. Boys, we got to go home. Like you're, You forget what's going on because you're just expected to go do media. And then afterwards, they're like, we'll drop you off at the corner and you can go get dinner and go back in. And you're like, dude, we're, we're, we're in like the middle of a party right yeah, now. Yeah, New Orleans is definitely like that, too. And I'm sure Miami like is, too. What, oh, Miami time, is what time is it in New Orleans? Is a hard thing to figure out. Yeah, You're like, nice. my phone says it's 1130. I feel great, though, this, guys. <laughs> but this doesn't look like 1130 because there's just people <laughs> everywhere. And, and my hotel was right next to Bourbon Street. And so I definitely walked home and had that feeling uh, when we were covering the playoff game. Yes. Um, okay, well, we got to wrap up here. You and I will talk, Alex, on Thursday. More things about this Super Bowl in particular. We'll break down the matchup and more of your memories from playing in the Super Bowl as well. Courtney, our draft scout, great to have you. Here, as always, um, you have to change your Twitter. You have to. Uh, We'll continue. I'll do it for the few days of the draft. We'll continue that bit for a very long time and get really annoying with it. So we'll catch you tomorrow here, Purple Daily on Score North. Mackie Judd with Rami coming up next. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. 
And don't forget, bet online for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet online where the game starts.